Grow stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit, adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future. Winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. Gonna try and, and paint the picture for, uh, for the audience for these two. Really excited to have them on because we haven't seen them in forever. It uh, feels like um, Ross Pospisil and Erne. Did I pronounce that right? Correct. Perfect. Pospisil. So uh, both living in Thailand, working with the Free Burma Rangers, uh, working to free oppression. There's a conflict in Burma uh, with the military involving a coup type of style, arresting leaders uh, for the National League of Democracy. Y'all been there for what, four years now or three? Three. Three. So three been there for three years and really excited to get that story. Awesome. Yeah. So for most of the listeners on this one, uh, everybody knows who, who Ross is. He's one of my sparring partners back in the day. That's a Mike Stedman theme right now. Um, a fellow inside linebacker as a senior. He was our defensive captain of 09 uh, Marine Corps Post Service Selection Combat Engineer. Then he disappeared. I felt like uh, now with his bride. Erin today, and she's going to tell us more about her because we don't know a whole lot about her, which is going to be fun. Uh, and you'll get, you guys are back in the States for vacation, seeing family, and then you're going to cycle right back over, right? So yeah. um, tell us what's going on with you two. Well, we're here, uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia. This is Erin hometown, grew, born and raised here. And so uh, we've been fortunate to have just some time to connect with family and enjoy the holidays. It you know, looks like for the foreseeable future, we'll have the opportunity to come back for Christmas. So we thought, hey, great opportunity to grab it now. And, Did I read somewhere that you're not going to be back in the States for maybe a th three more years? Yeah, there's a, a potential. Um, we're, we're trying to find a rhythm, you know, what that would look like. Right now, we're kind of on an 18-month rotation back in America. Um, okay. So we'll see. Maybe maybe 18 months to three years on the next shot, um, just depending how what the op tempo is like, things that we're engaged in. Uh, but yeah. yeah, thankful to be here. Cool. What about you, Ernie? Yeah. Tell us about you. Well, first, Tony, I just want to say I am so impressed with your podcast, and thank you for having us on here. Ross yeah. plays it when we're, he's washing dishes or whatever, <laughs> and it's on in our house, and I just so enjoy it, and I think it is so cool what you're doing, and you're letting people's voice be out there and their opinions. And I just really love that. And I'm ready because awesome. I have my hot cocoa and bourbon in it. Oh, <laughs> so, ready to go. Ready to go. I am super cozy. And so, yeah, thanks for having us. And yeah. um, what was the other thing we were just talking about? What did you just mention? Uh, oh, thanks for reading our newsletter. Yeah. That means a lot. And so yeah. we put time and effort into it. And so the fact that you just said that you read something about it uh is a huge encouragement to us yeah, so thanks a lot good for support there yeah, you've been a huge support and yeah. encouragement to us both you and amanda so mm. thanks yeah, for making absolutely. the time especially around the holidays to get us back on here um yeah i mean I'm, i admire what you guys are doing so i want to hear more about it and yeah well you said i disappeared and now the world can see why i disappeared <laughs> 
when you're married yeah. to a woman like this, you want to disappear every day and every way with her. So, uh, awesome. thankful to introduce Erin A to uh, to the. I know some of our our brothers have met met her, but I'm excited to introduce her to others too. And, um, yeah, we've been married four years now, and uh, we just celebrated our fourth year anniversary um, in November, November 9th. We were awesome. in Burma, so yeah, this is the second year right. we've celebrated our anniversary in Burma there, and um, it it's just they know how to do parties, right? They know how to celebrate. Like uh, we we got sung Happy Anniversary Day. <laughs> For the first time, we've never been sung that, so that was pretty By cool. 160 Rangers, yeah. so that was very exciting. Yeah, was wow, cool. uh, quite a crowd there. The support network, right? There's and a... English is their second language, so yeah, <laughs> awesome. They made us a cake, you know, jungle uh, a jungle cake, which isn't always super cooked in the middle, which makes it even better because it's, it's made over the fire. It's like a pudding. And <laughs> um, you should have brought some of that back. I know. Tradition, so this is a good tradition. Tradition when, when in Burma is when it's your birthday, you oh, yeah. obviously get sung to, or if it's your anniversary day like us, you get sung to, you get the first bite, but then who's ever there, you go around and share uh, a bite of the cake to each and every person. So this spoon is, is well-traveled. Yeah, uh, no COVID here. No <laughs> I mean, it kind of follows along. There's a community cup too, like every water station, or if there's a stream that has uh, drinkable water, there's one cup that everyone And so out. you get caught in the middle of that birthday and you're like maybe the 56th person. You're just praying to God, like, God, you know my heart. Like, please protect my body. I'm here. I can't be rude. And you take a bite of that spoon. Yeah, you're, <laughs> the best. And so, your immune systems are probably pretty strong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's a good absolutely. thing. Well, I, I would love, yeah, just if I can ask Erin to share a little bit about, about her background so people can get to know her a little bit better. Yeah. Um, you don't mind, Tony? Yeah, it's pretty brief. Just a little about myself. I was born and raised in Fredericksburg, Virginia, where we are now. All of my family is still here. I have eight siblings, and they're all in this location. And so they. Right, so you had a king out. family. They, yep. <laughs> and, yeah, they're on 10. <laughs> I just talked to them yesterday. Goodness. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we need to go visit them, yeah. actually. Yeah. If you're listening, hi, king family. <laughs> Um, and so it makes coming back to the States easier to visit all of them. Mm. Um, I studied health services administration, which is kind of what I'm doing now, uh, at our jungle school of medicine in Burma. And when I was in high school, I've always wanted to do missions work. I knew that I always wanted to go overseas and I wanted to help people. And so I was working in healthcare after graduating and I just wasn't satisfied. I knew that there was something else out for out there for me, but I didn't know what it was. And I just felt like God was really putting on my heart this um, burden that I felt when I was in high school to go overseas. So then in March of 2018, I started looking um, into going to Thailand because I'm half Thai, so my mom is Thai. So uh, when I went to visit in 2016, I got my Thai citizenship. And in that time in 2016, I just knew, I took this photo with my brother who also got it. And uh, I knew that God is gonna use this citizenship for something. I don't know what, I don't, like, don't know if I'd ever move back to Thailand, um, but I know that it's going to, to be huge in my life later on. So I was very thankful in 2016 to get this citizenship because it's actually very difficult. Uh, and then in 2018, he said it was time and he put it on my heart and he said, you need to go back to Thailand. 
So then I was like, oh, that is so interesting. I reached out all of my mom's side of the family is in Bangkok, Thailand. I reached out to them and I was like, hey, I wonder if there's any teaching English opportunities or anything that I can do, maybe even in healthcare, um, but nothing that was really popping up. And then a friend sent me this uh, um, kind of like a, a, a need for a family out there who needed a homeschool teacher. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting. Like, okay. And they were kind of set everything up for me as far as just transportation and uh, living situation and yeah, all okay. of that. So I was like, this is just so ideal. God just plopped it in my lap. And I was driving one day and very clearly the Holy Spirit was just like, go. You need to go, commit to this and go. And so the funny thing is, I was even joking to my mom in March of 2018 that like, just watch. He's telling me to go and now God's going to send me the love of my life. <laughs> and I met Ross that summer, actually. And then I still had committed to go to Thailand. And uh, and so I still went. I went in December of 2018. And uh, yeah, we did long distance. We basically dated long distance that first year. And I, I visited Thailand for the first yeah. first time in my life um, in March of 19 said I love you in the airport there in Bangkok in front of her aunt and uncle, which are very, like they're very nice, but also very formal. And, and I'm like making out with her in the airport. Like, I love you. Like, I miss you. And and Thai culture is still, not PDA yeah. at all. You don't do that in front of people. Yeah, very funny. I, yeah. I, there's like a crowd of people watching, like what's happening right now? <laughs> nice. uh, but yeah, through those trips in March and then again in June, actually proposed to her in Thailand. So it's fun. Yeah just up the road from where we live. So we have that just neat kind of early part of our story there in Thailand. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, through those two trips, then it was, we got started working on my heart about Southeast Asia and returning, yeah. you know, hopefully one day to married. And so, yeah, yeah that's crazy how he, he really sent Erin kind of on like a recon for our families, the way I see it. She didn't even know, but she was kind of like the, the, uh, the Avon of sorts to build connections and relationships for us to return there um when we went in uh, early well late 20 late 2020 we moved there in december of 2020 mm -hmm. during covid and um our initial steps in were all through Erin and like uh people she had met uh, were able to develop internships and things like that so anyways it's really cool how god wrote that story and um i never would have been over there without without her uh having first gone and, and introduced me to the culture and the people yeah. and the place um and so while i was over there i was I was never torn about marrying Ross, but I really didn't want to come back to America because I knew that what I was doing there wasn't finished. And so I remember thinking, because I knew he was going to get out of active duty, I was thinking, like, what are some things that he can do or that he would be interested in? And I sent him the Free Burma Rangers website. And yeah. I said, whoa, there's this really cool group doing really cool things. You should check it out. So he checks it out, but we didn't really talk about it. Um, after I ended up moving back um, in September and we got married in November of that year. And then he still had one more year of active duty. And through this year, I'm just like praying, God, like take us back to Thailand. God, take us back to Thailand. God, work on his heart, please. Like let him want to go back to Thailand. And it definitely did. And then the, um, the documentary, which if anybody hasn't seen the documentary, there's a free from Rangers documentary, please yeah. watch it. It is um, so inspiring. And so um, I recommend that for sure. We watched it in theaters with a friend 
And then after we watched that documentary, we were just so taken back. Yeah. The Holy Spirit, like, they met us in the movie theater, and we were like, we need to go. We need to go there. We need to go to Southeast Asia. We didn't know what. We didn't know if it was going to be with the Free Burma Rangers. Um, so we stopped there. We prayed with our friend Alex mm. and uh, basically kind of committed ourselves to go yeah. back in that moment. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's how it kind of got started to go back to Southeast Asia. Mm. And I was like, and God, thank you for answering my prayer. This is awesome. <laughs> I could have never imagined this. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's my background and uh, a little bit um, of the yeah, beginning of uh, moving to Southeast Asia. Awesome. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a good story. Everything happens for a reason, right? Um, it does. Yeah. We don't think it, even when we don't think it does, yeah. it does. Yeah. Um, so Southeast Asia, uh, you've been living there for a few years. I yeah. mean, tell us more about <clears throat> what's it like living there? What's your day to day look like? Uh, and, and what's your, you know, boots on the ground doing? Mm-hmm. We uh, so we our our home is in Chiang Mai, Thailand, which is in the northern part of of Thailand. Um, yeah, a lot of it's it's kind of a hot spot in the area for for tourists and people visiting the area. Very different than the south. When people think of Thailand, they think of like the beaches, maybe Bangkok, but Chiang Mai is is in the mountains. Uh, there's a mountain right next to us, and just it's a very oh just low key chill um, kind of culture up there. Um, so we're fortunate to call that home, and that's also where kind of our base of, of operations is for FBR. Um, we spend, you know, we're probably out of, out of Chiang Mai just as much as we live there. You know, we, we kind of live in some ways, like like for those of you know, you and I, Tony, and others, very much similar to the, the, the lifestyle that we lived in the military with, um, you know, deploying, if you will, going on missions into Burma or, or other or other countries. Um, uh, you know, maybe six weeks here, six weeks here, a month there, and then we'll reset and refit uh, back in Chiang Mai. Um, so there's always teams that are out, but for us specifically, we find we find kind of yeah about six months of the year we've we've been gone lately. Um, but when we're in when we're in Chiang Mai, you know, our our kind of daily or weekly rhythm is very much uh, either we're supporting teams that are in the field. Um, you know, this is from a work perspective. Uh, we're planning for a future mission ourselves. Um, our roles also have, you know, work that is required as we're sending things into um, our medical clinic. That uh, we have one primary medical clinic that also trains out of. So, RNA supports them and is always in, in, in um, uh, communicating with them and providing support. I've been the medical supply coordinator since we joined. So that's something that's always, you know, there's always requests for medical supplies and always shopping and purchases that need to help happen there. And then the last year, actually, since the last time we talked, I, I think maybe around that time, but um, I became one of our, our chaplains as well. So so for me as a chaplain, it's there's both, there's a element when I'm in Chiang Mai where my focus turns more, it's not on the ethnics that, that we're with as much as to the local staff. Um, there are, you know, there's t- local Thai people, there's volunteers like ourselves, and really, really, what, is it, what does it mean to care for them, to encourage them, to build them up, create a culture where we're, where we're all doing that together? Um, never is it is the ministry just one person. It's, it's a team and it's a community. So just finding ways to plug in and, um, yeah, just help people 
uh, build capacity, build resilience. Uh, you know, there's just lots of different things going on. We have a very family-centric team, so it's neat, uh, you know, to be able to engage with all those families. How big's the team, like this, the staff part of it? Oof. I mean, if you saw on paper, we could we would say we probably have, um, and this is including uh, kids, we have upwards of 70 that are probably in and around. Um, but we're so we're such a transient community because people are always out in different places of the world or in Burma or Thailand. So at any one time, we probably have maybe 40 back in Chiang Mai. Okay. Um, gotcha. And, and uh, yeah, so it just changes. Like right now is our operational season, kind of October through, um, oh, really June, you know, kind of based on the seasons is, is an operational season where there's less people there physically. Like we're not there right now. A lot of people um, in other spots. Just because like the holiday season or the weather uh, or so when that... mean operational, actually, it's uh, the training in Burma mm -hmm. for the Rangers. It's a three months training. Mm -hmm. So all that the Rangers um, from around Burma come to the camp and then they get trained from October to December. And then they go out on missions from January until um, early March. Mm -hmm. and gotcha. So that's operation season. And then what's that training? Go ahead. I was just yeah. going to ask, what's that training look like? At yeah, it's the, um, it, the title of the training is Servant Leadership and Relief Team Training. So it takes people from all across Burma, different ethnicities, brings them into one space, which just right there is just super exciting because you have people that ethnically maybe have their ethnic groups have not gotten along before. You have people of different religions that maybe have not gotten along before. And now you're now you're telling them work together, grow together. Um, so it's. It's very much like a kind of, I would say, boot camp style of sorts. You know, there's there's uh, there's a very regimented schedule um, from PT twice a day to, to academic time to um, we have devotional time. Obviously, every every day mixed in there. So everything from classroom to crack app to then the mission is really taking that out. Um, so the goal of FBR, and this is really not the goal, but one of the aspects of FBR is to multiply into the ethnic areas that we serve so that the local people are empowered to go to the people in need around them. And so this 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 servant leadership and relief team training does that. Um, there's probably been in the 25 years it's been going almost 2000 teams trained that are now um, not all are active throughout Burma. We have, I think, 144 active teams throughout Burma right now. But, yeah, these teams go and they. They provide aid like like any other relief team would in a, in a, in a place. So anything from food to um, clothing to kids uh, kids programs to medical um, assistance to training um, uh, to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and, and the hope of His gospel. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a neat it's a neat time that really kicks off our operational season with with those um, teams. We were just there for about five weeks before we uh, came back to the states. And to gotcha. sum up, what we do in Chiang Mai is solely to support all of the missions that happen in Burma. And so these these missions, they are happening year round. And we have Middle East teams and we have teams going to Ukraine. Everyone in Chiang Mai is there doing the work to support all of them going outwards. And so long Ukraine, short, long story short. Sorry, I got, I got sidetracked. <laughs> Ukraine, that's that's a hot topic in the U.S. news. I know there's a lot of things that are probably not in the U.S. news. That, yeah. And that was one of my questions for you guys is like um, one of my later questions was uh, um, uh, what other geopolitical items of note should Americans know about that 
we don't know that. <laughs> of note. Yeah. I don't know if we can offer much from a geopolitical standpoint as much as just the heart of the people that we've seen. Um, FBR is engaged, uh, obviously, in Burma. That's where we began. Um, we have uh, another headquarters in the Middle East, in Kurdistan, Iraq, and Erbil. So that's another kind of uh, central node for us. We've trained teams in South Sudan in the past. Um, we have a team in Bangladesh right now uh, that, that works into, there's a 1 million plus refugee camp just on the, the other side of the border in Bangladesh. So we have a team there. And um, Ukraine is a new space for us. Our, our founder and our, our director and leader, Dave Eubank, was has been invited since the beginning of Ukraine, but through prayer and consideration, just didn't feel like it was a space for us. And then, sure. Um, yeah, he made his first trip in August uh, to go. Really, what what it was amazing what changed his heart and kind of I wouldn't say changed his heart, but just led him to see maybe we could provide um, you know support. There was we had uh, one of our volunteers is married to a Ukrainian woman. He he actually went over on his own to serve in Ukraine at the onset of the war and met a wonderful woman named uh, Yulia, and they got married. And so she came to Burma and shared her story of losing her brother-in-law and her dad being on the front line and just inspired the people of Burma by saying, Hey, my, my country's at, at war too right now, but don't feed your fear, feed your faith. And, and there wasn't a dry eye around. And she just connected with these people who have been in a 70 year plus civil war in Burma. Yeah. And so through that, we were on that mission with her. We all began to say like, what did it, it didn't take much for this, this woman to come here. I mean, she had to buy a plane ticket. She had to put some, you know, a pack on and, and deal with some, some suffering there. But like, her message has impacted hundreds because she was willing to do that. So maybe we can she do was, that. she was willing to enter the room. Yeah. She was just willing to show up. Yeah. She was willing to show yeah. up with her whole self and, and not be shy to like share about her hardship, not be shy to like, Oh, I got to figure all these things out. Um, she was, she'll admit like on the trail, she's at times she's like, what am I doing? Like, uh, I like to wear dresses and, and I don't know why I'm, I'm walking through the wood, the jungle for weeks on end, but, she showed up, and so that led to us then, okay, maybe we can do that in Ukraine. Mm. Yes, Ukraine is resourced uh, well for the most part right now, but who's there on the ground? And maybe we can just go on the ground and love the people like she loved um, the people of Burma. And so we've, we've taken two trips now. Dave led a trip with some – this is what's amazing. He led a trip in August with guys from Burma. Like, um, So we, we have this amazing fusion of cultures happening, uh, and then – and then myself and, and four others uh, went on a trip uh, just this earlier this month, end of November and December. And so I think we'll continue to do some of that stuff because, um, yeah, the opportunity to be with people in hard places and just say, hey, you're not alone. And, and oh, by the way, it's not it's not just us. Um, we're here for a split second, but there's a God and a creator of the universe who's also always with you. And so. Uh, just yeah, it's it speaks volumes, um, not just to them but to us. We leave more impacted all the time. <laughs> the uh, the enter the room is a, is a tie-in. Uh, so I told you guys like I'm I'm yeah. into podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Well, wow. there was one uh, with Lex Friedman and Benjamin Netanyahu yeah. back in Ju back in July before the whole Gaza thing even happened, and they were talking about Ukraine and Russia. Mm. And um, one of the things that Netanyahu said that stood out to me during that conversation was um you know pertaining to russia and ukraine that i don't think they're ready to enter that room yet together mm. like 
to have those peace talks, to have the the negotiations. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not so much the what happens in the room, it's just the willingness to enter. Mm-hmm. And going back to the training and all the diverse cultures in, you know, um, I, I don't know exactly, tribal or ethnicity yeah. type of training, melting pot you got going on in Burma, um, is there some sort of a pain that has driven everybody into that room? Mm. Yeah, definitely. That is such a good point. So I'm so glad you tied it back to that training too. Um, Look at that, a double tie. Yeah. <laughs> double knot. Do you want to touch on that? Ooh, That's this, so good. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the coup you mentioned in the intro, the coup yeah. that took place in 2021, um, you know, for some people, this is the first time maybe they've heard about the conflict and the war in Burma, but the coup is really just a continuation of what's been going on for over 70 years. Now, there 70 was, years. Yeah, seven, lar- longest running civil war in the world right now. And you've got, so you've got grandmothers talking about, I remember when it started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been in people's, it's been generations entire existence is to know nothing, especially in the, the ethnic minority groups to know nothing but running, to know nothing but um, losing, losing a house, losing uh, family members uh, to senseless violence and killing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that from the outside looking in, yes, there was a ceasefire of sorts that happened in the, in, oh, the teens, uh, the 20-teens, if that's what we can call them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there was still, still there was just a, a racism taking place um, throughout the country and there was a oppression and injustice. But if we look to 2021, that's when we see just a, a, a big turn. Mm-hmm. Um, February of 21, the, the military basically uh, kicked out uh, and put, put under house arrest uh, uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, who was the democratic leader of the, of, of the time. And, and she actually won a Nobel Peace Prize just for a lot of her work, but, but basically took power, I think really taking advantage of COVID and all the craziness during that time and began just, um, I don't know also to say, just began an evil uh, campaign against Wait, not just the, a person who won a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, no, um, the person you're saying the person that yeah. got put, the person that got put under house arrest won a Nobel Peace Prize in the past. Okay, okay, yeah. understood. So, um, yeah. yeah, thanks for clarifying. But the the military junta, the dictatorship, basically just began in February, um, attacking all people of Burma, anything, anyone that stood against their power, anyone that defied their control. Um, so what it did though, is it for the first time began to unite ethnic groups, the, the majority ethnic group of the, the Burman with the minority ethnic groups. Um, oh, there's, there's probably upwards, there's 10 minor, uh, ethnic groups or minority ethnic groups that are probably stand out, but there's more than that. There's over 130 languages spoken in the nation. So, I mean, just it, but it, what, what this did is the dictatorship through their, senseless bombing of hospitals and schools and communities through their um, oh, just raping and pillaging and uh, totally taking over the education system. Like through these things, they united everyone against them. And so uh, even in the last two years, we've seen more unity than ever before, because no longer is it, is it a race thing. It's a we have evil people in power that are doing evil things and just and unjust. Yeah. yeah. That's nuts. I mean, talking to you. So last time I saw you guys was at a Navy football tailgater. Um, 
yeah. we played and it's like i don't remember who we played uh but when you when you were telling me that I'm like, yeah, okay but 70 years let mm -hmm. that sink in yeah and yeah. Uh, obviously i am a visual guy um probably still don't have a, a good impact of it like i should but y'all been there and that's insane well, there's uh, right now there's over a million people, we believe, displaced from their homes. So imagine a million people, either their homes have been destroyed or because of the threat of air attack, the Burmese army owns the skies. There's no there's no even counter to that. So because of dis destruction, maybe their homes have been bombed, blown up or because of the fear of that happening um, or maybe their homes have actually been taken over by ground troops. Yeah, over a million people um, have had to flee their homes. So that, that's a that's a number that's hard to wrap your head around. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Goodness, your so your missions. Let's go back to your missions. When you when you deploy and you go on that mission, what the, what does the mission look like? Well, you can explain our upcoming mission. Um. Yeah. It's not classified, have... is it? No. No. All right. A traditional mission would look like uh, going to an area um, and, and really focusing on two things, either providing uh, relief to the local communities, and that's so, um, or the second aspect would be providing frontline support um, in terms of casualty uh, treat, treatment, transport, or triage through our medics. So, you know, if you look at it, you're going into areas, the, the entire country is a conflict zone, so you're, you're going to a local community, uh, you're learning about their needs, uh, you're, you're praying and, and hoping to meet some of those needs financially or, or maybe through building partnerships um, or even delivering goods, that kind of can also be a thing, or providing medical care. We have amazing, amazing team of local medics who come in with bags and bags of medicine that, that are otherwise really unattainable in those areas so that they set up clinics. Um, and then we just provide a lot of laughs to the kids in the community. If you want to share about that, this is a, we do kids programs and it's the all day thing. And oh my gosh, to see people who have been living in fear and who are currently living in, you know, under rocks, uh, not in their homes, but to see these, these IDPs smiling and laughing. Erin is heavily involved with that program. If you want to share. Yeah, so this was started by Karen Eubank when um, she first started going on mission as well a long time ago, about 20 years ago, probably more than that. And uh, during a, it's called a Good Life Club, and it's basically like a vacation Bible school, but for the day for the entire village. And uh, while they are doing this Good Life Club, there's a medical clinic going on. So everybody who is sick or hasn't been seen for a while, they'll just um, be seen throughout the day. And then... Um, in this area is like there's uh rangers doing skits with the kids singing songs sharing the gospel um just making them laugh just let them forget about their really difficult life for just a couple of hours and um just the relief that that brings alone and the joy that that brings uh is pretty amazing and so that's the good life club yeah and, then, and so we'll also during like if the center spoke or this, the center of the the program or the relief effort is this children's program. You know, other things that are going around, like Erin has said, would be uh, interviewing the local people, reporting mm -hmm. on human rights violations, understanding better the what's happening there, so that the outside world can hear. You know, part of part of uh, FBR's heartbeat is to get the news out mm -hmm. um, because it's an area that there's not a lot of news. 
uh, and then meeting with local leaders and understanding the needs that they have. Um, so that's kind of, that would be what I would call the one part, the community relief. And then the second part, the frontline relief um, is, is again driven by what's happening um, in terms of the conflict in the area. What, what needs do the local uh, militia, military have? Um, and it's always on the medical side. So because of the capability we bring, we typically have, in most areas, a really good transport. We've bought, we've purchased or brought our own trucks if we're not walking. If we're walking, then we got a lot of people. But the medical um, piece is then enables us to set up CCPs, um, you know, provide transport from the front line to those CCPs and, and help to triage. Uh, and so that, that capability also is a blessing. We're, neither of us are our medical background. Uh, we can drive a truck, we can carry a person kind of thing. Is that, that would be the way that we get involved. Um, if we haven't yet, but that would, that would be an opportunity that were available. But um, yeah, so kind of split between the community and then uh, the frontline piece uh, based upon what engagements are happening and, and battles. When you're talking about, you know, this um, coup and, you know, the kids living in fear, uh, I'm guessing they're, they're fearing some, you know, bad guys coming into town and doing, you know, what they do. So is this something that they, like you get up for? You put a uh, yeah. I mean, I would say, uh, let me ask, how would you define kit? That would be my first to understand better. Kevlar and helmet. And <laughs> something to uh, return uh, a message with. Jungle, as you would yeah. think. <laughs> yeah, actually, in, in, in Burma, just because of the nature of it, uh, we don't mm -hmm. wear Kevlar or helmet. Um, you just, you lose so much mobility and it's so hot. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you know, like. Sure. You just you gotta you gotta mitigate your risk somewhere, and it just for us right now um, in the areas we've been, it's just too much. You know, uh, mm -hmm. our teams are are armed, like our local people are armed, and and more from a defensive um, capacity. Although we do have some overlaps, where maybe a guy or a girl is in the local militia, but also part of our relief team, so they'll also you know they'll have multiple jobs at times. Uh, and then uh, yeah, uh, so I think. You know, we, we always are with the local people yeah. um, to make sure that, uh, one, we are empowering and supporting their efforts, right? We're going to leave um, in, in a, a week or a day or a month or whatever. So we yeah. don't want to do anything solo. But then also, um, yeah, it just makes us more effective working together and helps us to understand the situation. And so very gracious. We have amazing teams and, and being tied into local militias and things like that help help us to have a better understanding of troop movements and, and gotcha. all that. But, so you've never like had to deploy like a QRF type of capability to prevent something crazy. No, yeah. no we don't, we that's, don't even, that's good. Yeah. We don't train to, to that uh, level. Now many on the Western side or the volunteer side, I would say we're probably, what do you think? 70% former military. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, having so many former military, we have an understanding of what that could look like and what that would entail. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, now, like when our guys were operating in Iraq in the Middle East during the height of ISIS, you know, ISIS's push in 1819 timeframe, they were fully kitted up. I mean, they're similar to how we train, maybe um, Kevlar, flak. Uh, again, the primary thing they were doing there is providing medical um, to the Iraqi army. But gotcha. when I was in Ukraine, I did put a kit on just because we were inside. Um, we were inside the artillery range and on that front line area. So, like, I would hate to say, man, I wish I had to put that Kevlar on because that piece of shrapnel is moving pretty quick. So Yeah. 
it just depends okay. on the region and the and the risks um, and threat level, and you got to kind of think your way through that. Yeah, I got you. Well, cool. Um, intentions. Uh, obviously, you're going back, right? Is there a timeline? Is there a timeline on it, or you just as eh, fall fall in that heart? Like, how? Do, what do y'all yeah. see? Your what do you see yourself? Now. Okay. And every time we come back to America, actually, you realize more and more that we just don't have a life here anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so. Yeah. It's definitely home for the unforeseeable future. Um, and we're going to just continue to do the work God has called us to do until he says, don't do this anymore. And so, yeah, yeah that's home. Speaking of America and talking about a mess, um, is there a social media impact over there? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. How I'm much sure. of that? Like, uh, so all the, you know, different ethnicities and people coming together coup versus the people like is there a propaganda war obviously yeah hmm. a propaganda war yeah well like um you know coup versus the people oh this person spoke out we're gonna go hunt this one down like oh, um maybe not um, i would say that uh the propaganda war would be actually <laughs> actually china feeding other countries surrounding burma uh. the propaganda about burma and so china just wants to see a fall in burma they have their own agenda sure. for um themselves but i would say that that's where the propaganda is and i wouldn't say i would definitely say that uh if they were to find anything on any of our ethnic friends social media and this has happened multiple times that they would go to jail immediately. Mm -hmm. And so they have gone to jail for years because of it. So I would say, yes, but there's still, they, but there's many different, they heavily leverage social media and they're on Facebook, like the Facebook, yeah. yes. Facebook is their spot. Them. I mean, yeah. they're on Instagram too, but Ernie was just looking today. Um, a friend of ours that is one of the commanders in, in Kaya state, um, which is a state in, kind of northeast Burma. Um, I mean, the commander's putting out like, hey, Burmese army, you have two options, either surrender to me and my crew um, or we we're, we're gonna kill you. And so there's there's definitely engagements. And sometimes you see people that are friends, like maybe yeah. they, one guy grew up and decided to go to the Burmese army, the other stayed and he's fighting the resistance. And so there might be a connection there. Um, but yeah, there's a lot, they recruit through social media. They, they try to, they try to, um, you know, speak out against disinformation. Some people create disinformation, um, sure. so all the different things. But I guess I wouldn't call it war because the ethnics are going to do this regardless. The military queue want to kill them anyway, and they're going to just mortar them until they're done, until there's no Burma, I feel like. And so they don't lose anything, but I feel like the people who are living in the city in Yangon and who are Burmen people, ethnicity, um, they have something to lose because now they're all fleeing to the jungle. If they speak up or if they protest, they're living in the jungle, which they've never done before in their life. And they're actually relying on these people, other ethnic groups, with the, which they usually or used to look down on. And now they're taking care of them. And yeah. so it's a huge cost for them. And then there are people who are in the city who still have not spoken up, who are not for the military coup, but they want to live peacefully there. And so we have friends doing all of the above and so everybody's playing a different game i guess 
I think I think about it's not through social media. This is interesting. We we found out through some of our friends who are Burman, but are part of the resistance. They've they've left the city centers and and they don't want any more of this this military junta. They shared. I mean, these these, these guys and girls are early twenties. They shared about growing up in the school system, being taught that some of the minority ethnic groups, like the Karen people, who we work with extensively and uh, have. The, the work that FBR does in Burma would not happen without the Korean people. Right. But they were taught growing up that the Korean people are, are cannibals. Like they're being yeah. taught in the school system. <clears throat> These people are savages and cannibals and should not be trusted. And so like. They call them ringworms and yeah. all these evil things. The level of racism that was, that's been embedded in even the education system is ridiculous. Um, yeah, so, that's the way, uh, that's the way it starts. That's the way to get them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Goodness. Um, so over the past couple of years, uh, since the last time we saw each other, any, uh, cool, I don't say cool, um, any interesting or very impactful events, stories that you guys went through, um, yeah, that, that really made you think, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, just the ability and the opportunity to go into Burma and to witness some of the things that we have witnessed um, is never to take for granted. Um, That changes our our whole life, the way that we live, our perspective, just seeing the way that they live um, in their situation. Um, Yeah, I don't think that we would ever be the people who we are now if we weren't if we weren't impacted by by them more than we impact them. And I think that seeing the way um, that some of their hearts are so soft, even to um, the point of forgiving enemy and forgiving people who have killed their family and seeing forgiveness um, given is something that never really came naturally to me. Um, which oh, yeah, it wouldn't come naturally to me either. Exactly. If somebody killed my family. I don't think I'd ever forgive that one. I don't know. That's... Exactly. And so to see someone in the flesh who who does that and um, even ask us to pray for the Burma army who has just, you know, two weeks ago burned their village down. And this is a true story because we ask IDPs, how can we pray for you? And what do you want us to tell the world? Please tell the world to pray for Burma. Please tell the world to pray for the Burmese army. And I'm like, why do you want us to tell them that? Mm-hmm. And so that definitely changes perspective and it's very, very powerful. And then to see our friends' hearts, um, like he said, the training is held by Korean people. And so these people who have been um, persecuted for the last 70 years are welcoming in these Burmans and showing them hospitality, uh, hospitality and showing them this kindness because if they, led to the jungle they would literally die some of my friends would probably like laugh that i'd say this but they couldn't make it they can't you cannot just survive in the jungle without knowing anything and yeah. so the way that they take care of them is just so inspiring i can't mm-hmm. believe it sometimes and i try to like challenge myself man i do the same to somebody that just destroyed everything that i have mm-hmm. and so mm. yeah i just got goosebumps mm-hmm. We had a guy, a close friend of ours last year when we were at uh, this ethnic relief team training, come up to us. Um, Sunday is really like the only day that they don't 
you know, have full on training. And so we would typically have people over at the house and just play games and eat some snacks and, um, and have a little Bible study or answer questions about life. And anyways, this guy just one day came early and just could see something was bur burning him. I just said, Hey man, what's going on? Uh, mm -hmm. And he kind of was hesitant to, to, to share, to open up. And I just, I just kind of sat and listened. I didn't want to press too hard. I said, well, if you feel comfortable to share, feel free to come by anytime. And I think we kept talking. And then finally he got the courage to share. And he's like, I just have something. I have something that um, I can't be rid of. Like I have this burden that I can't do anything about. Like it's just with me all the time and is impacting every, you know, how I live here and how I train. And, and I was like, all right, man, do you, well, do you want to tell me more about this at all? No, I'd, I'd rather not right now. So I said, that's okay. Let me just, let's pray together for you. Um, so this is like the first time. And then the second time he shares a little bit more about how this burden that he's carrying, it brings such hatred to his heart. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to think in my head, like what, maybe he was abused as a child and is finally coming to grips with that. Um, and so again, we just talked about how you can be free of, of a burden by taking these burdens to Jesus who came to carry our burdens for us. And we prayed again together and he really didn't go into more details. And then the next day, I think it was, he came up to me all excited, just smiling. Um, and I'm like, man, what's up? You like look different. And he's like, he's like, I gave my burden to Jesus and he took it from me and I have never been this light in my life. And I, and I said, I'm like, I'm, I'm pumped up. I'm giving a high five. I'm like, what is this? Like, what, what do you mind to share now? What, what it was? He's like, I have had a hatred for the, the, the Burman people since I was born. Since, and he's a 20, 27 year old. He's like, I, I could not stand being around them because of what they've done to my people. He's a current ethnic. And he's like, now I'm surrounded by them here at this training. And I, I just, it, it was killing me inside because I, I did not want anything good for these people. I wanted them to be hurt. Like I've been hurt. I wanted them to feel um, pain and shame like I felt from them my whole life but that's not that's not love I can't carry that I can't live like that and so he, he gives us this burden of hatred to God and and, and then receives this love and it was just amazing to see his countenance the way he interacted with people was totally different um, so that's just an example of like these these walls that are being destroyed um, uh, through through these these kinds of opportunities that had nothing to do with us it was just it was just he's being put into contact with there's something not right here and I can't have unity with these people um, because of this hatred. So what else is there, but then to forgive and, and ask, ask to be given love. So that was just, it was really amazing, really changed my heart. And I'm like, what, who do I hate? Like, or who am I bitter against? I'm started thinking that that night, Aaron and I are talking, I'm like, man, I got some burdens. I need to, I want to be free of these. Like, yeah. so it was powerful. Uh, Shame. Wow. That's a, that's an awesome story. That's cool. Uh, any any more similar type of impacts that you you walked away from? It was like that was good. That made you know the last six months worth it or whatever mm -hmm. it was. Oh yeah. Um, I would definitely say, uh, and I'm going to be a little vulnerable here because prior to working with Free Burma Rangers, I didn't care about Burma at all. I didn't care about the situation. Honestly, I didn't know. I didn't even know about ethnic groups or anything like that. And uh, I'm half Thai. And so I live in a Thai culture whenever we went over there, always with Thais. And um, Thai history and Burmese history are um, 
not great. And so Thais are not huge fans of um, Burmese people because a long time ago, Burma went into Thailand and burned Ayutthaya, which was the capital at the time. And um, those feelings still linger. And so as I go over there, um, when I was growing up, just kind of being fed some certain uh, yeah. agendas. School. Uh-huh. Was it in school? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. It wasn't. It was the propaganda war. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was fed some certain things, and I just didn't care. I didn't care to work uh, with Burma or even pay them any attention. And I would say that uh, as I, I even actually reluctantly didn't want to start volunteering with Free Burma Rangers and Ross really um, led, the, led the way for that and the path for that, I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a try. Uh, and I'll just go with him to orientation or whatever it is that we did. And uh, I met some of the ethnics and I was like, okay, like, wow. And I learned more about their situation. I was like, wow, this is crazy. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. And then um, when I got to go into Burma and on a mission uh, to a, a heavy conflict zone, we were rolling up um, to this house. We needed to go visit a fallen ranger's parents and his family. And it's gonna, oh, and um, so we were at his house and his, par his parents' house and uh, we walk in and immediately it, the room was heavy. There was a pic pictures of the ranger um, that had um, died from the Burma army and his mom was there. And I remember just holding his mom and, and she hugged me around the neck and she's just sobbing and I couldn't let go and she wouldn't let go of me and we just stay there just sobbing and we don't speak the same language and I remember in that moment like oh my gosh like all my life I've wanted to help people but it was like I wanted to help the people that I chose I wanted to help people that you know fit me best or that I like best and so it was really in that moment where um in the bible god says that my heart is for the orphans and the widows and the oppressed and i was like it's the oppressed people and people in thailand they're not oppressed um and so that is a very impactful story to me of realizing that like these are the people these are my people i need to be with these people mm -hmm. i need to be fighting with these people and willing if I'm gonna enter their country to die for these people. Mm. And I've never looked back. And in like, I remember that moment that my commitment because um, to be a ranger and one of the things that you have to be able to do is say that you will not run. So in a situation um, where you need to run from orders or something like that, you can't, you need to stay with them. And I remember in that moment that like, like it would all be worth it. Anything done in love is worth it. And I, actually, I'm very emotional today because we got the news this morning, and we can't talk about this too much, that one of our ranger friends did die this morning. And so, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, okay. But thank you for, for sharing that story. And I was going to cut pretty deep, and but... I'm sure it'll, and I'm sure it will um, impact somebody mm. pos positively.
Yeah, if there's if there's anything we can share, just the you know we have a way of looking as Americans, I think, at the world, and we have a way of um, I'm guilty of this. And I'm the first person guilty of this. The way of of seeing different people groups, the way of seeing situations, and and making our own judgments about that situation or the people that are involved in it. And um, I mean, that's human nature, right? To do that. Uh, but I think if there's anything that we've seen is just, man, the heart of the people around this world, and we've only seen a fraction of it, but if I could just yeah. say Burma, um, so Southeast Asia, if I could say uh, Iraq and the Middle East, even my recent trip to Ukraine, um, Man, people are people, and there's hurting people all over this globe. There's hurting people here in America. Um, there's shooting people in Thailand. But specifically, when I see those people and I see the acts of love, the acts of extreme love in the midst of chaos, um, yeah, it, it changes you forever. Um, to think, wow, this person is literally their life when they step outside the door that day or when they step out from under the cave they're living in. Like, they don't know if they will have what their life will be like or if they'll what kind of threats they'll receive, but yet they're still loving the person next to them. Mm-hmm. Um, like that, it changes the way that I see people now and the way that the, the judgments I make about them from afar yeah. um, and the kindness that we've been shown yeah. and the kindness. I just, one quick story from Ukraine. This just comes to my mind. It's, we're on the front lines in Ukraine and by the front lines, I mean, we're in inside of artillery range. And there's this local guy, this local, well, he's a, he's a, the XO of the unit we're working with. Amidst all his tasks for the day, you know, like the XO has, the company XO is always doing something. He's yeah, the getter done guy. or he's doing logistics, right? Like for the troops, they're rotating people off the front line every couple of days. He decides to prioritize going to this local elderly couple um, that still lives in, in the, in this zone that have not been able to flee. Um, because the husband is almost completely handicapped and they're scared if they leave that their house of, of 70 years will be looted and they lose all their things. And so these people are in their eighties and he's like, he invites me and, a, and another guy just to go with them. He's like, Hey, I want to, can you guys come and help me out? I'll make sure what's, what's up. And he has a generator for this elderly couple in his, the back of his truck. So amidst all his tasks, he's like, I'm going to go love this elderly couple. I'm going to give them a generator. So they're weeping the, the elderly lady when he sees him, is weeping and, and they just are, it's just, I'm overcome with emotion that he would prioritize. Like his life is on the line. He's not prioritizing his life. He's just prioritizing loving and caring for the people around him, around him. And not only is it a generator, it's a generator that doesn't have a crank start. It's just a push start because she's not strong enough. And so like the detail and the intentionality and it was probably his own money or they raised it as a unit. But yeah. like, this is in a war zone all the buildings around us are pretty much blown blown to pieces um, and it's like he's choosing to love and that's what's going to change the world that's what's going to change ukraine burma the middle east america is is people choosing to love those around them uh, when it doesn't make sense and so that it's just been powerful for us to see and experience and leaves us changed forever yeah and just to piggyback off of that my encouragement not just to america but um, really everybody is to just live for something bigger than yourself and for everyone I think that's obviously different if um, some that's living for God living a life for God and if you don't believe in God then that's um, living for freedom for your country and so just living for something that is outside of your comfort zone and I guess as you would say entering the room 
of of possibilities you know you have to enter that room in order to even um make the decision to to love that person or um to just go out of this comfort zone and explore this or adventure here and uh yeah it'd be just to live for something bigger than <laughs> yourself but, uh, yeah um hopefully this is a good reminder for all of us it already is for me is uh america's even though it's got its challenges, it's a pretty mm. dang good spot to be, right? Very you don't have a coup yet. You don't have uh, people knocking on their door. You're not living in fears. And, you know, some people go to sleep with their doors unlocked. You leave their keys in the car, let their kids go play. I think that's reduced a little bit without watching them. But, um, yeah. yeah, it's still the in my mind anyways and i'm not as cultured as you two but i feel like it's a pretty good place to be mm. yeah it is, it is a good see. place and it's that's a blessing too yeah yeah not not something we want to see changed um here yeah <laughs> true true um let's see um is it is there anything that's and i think you've already mentioned a couple of them but i want to ask it is 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 there any way that you know and what you've been doing your experience in in burma or anywhere has uh, influenced your personal beliefs or practices? Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I think the Karini, maybe the Karini, we, we were chatting a little bit before this and um, we were in this Kaya state, which is North, Northeast Burma uh, last year. And um, mm -hmm. one of our main roles during that, that mission was to meet with the, community leaders during those programs that we talked about earlier. So yeah. uh, we would gather the community leaders uh, from the camp, from the villages, church leaders, other, other religious leaders even, um, and just sit with them. And we would, we would uh, typically ask a series of questions like, you know, what kind of needs do you have uh, that you've experienced? Tell us a little bit about your story. How'd you get here? Um, you know, what, what other ways are you finding to partner together and what opportunities have you found to address the needs on your own, you know, to see if there's ways we can, you know, tie into things already going on. Aaron, A mentioned, yeah, this question about what, what can we tell the world yeah. um, that about what's happening here and, and always praying with them. But uh, so we did 16 of these programs over a four week period, maybe a four week period, we had 16 programs. So we probably met with, um, Oh, I mean, we had sometimes that those those little powwows would be eight different uh, groups of people because there's eight different, you know, representative um, camps, if you will. But so just tons. And we're probably halfway through. And each each program or each meeting, we would end up um, giving away and we had a bunch of cash with us or or would help connect them to others that could support with material needs. Um, but we typically would give some, we would give something. We don't want to leave them empty handed. We came here to, to provide help and hope and love. But so the help piece were like, okay, hearing their needs, understanding how we can try to meet those. And, um, let's just be honest. Like it feels good to help people sometimes. Like it feels good. Yeah. Um, and so we're like a couple in and we, we felt like we're actually helping people like people who could not get water or food. Um, now we've given them something at least to, to bridge the gap, uh, to help do that. 
Um, so we felt good about that, but we got to this particular halfway point and the needs were so great. There were so many people involved that we could like, we just felt so, so low. Like even the couldn't, cash couldn't fill every cup. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, yeah. we can't, we, we can't even scrape the top of their knees with what we've brought with us, you know, little FBR and, mm. and, um, it was very hard. I didn't feel good. It did not feel good to give that day because it just felt like it was like, uh, again, we couldn't even touch what was going on. And so I remember Aaron and I both just feeling that weight or riding back in the truck, um, going to another place afterwards and just feeling really heavy. And um, I remember a friend of mine, uh, Sky Barkley, who's been with FBR a lot longer than us. He just, he looked me in the eye and he said, brother, like we don't, Ultimately, we don't serve the needs of people. We serve God and we, and we, we follow where God leads, mm -hmm. where leads us to do the best that we can, but we have to entrust all people to him. And it really challenged me. And I had to think about, I was like, okay, I don't serve the needs of people. I serve God. Now, don't get me wrong. We're going here to meet needs. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be needs. And so he helped just reframe for me why we're here and what we're here to do, that we're here to, yes, bring bread and proverbially, but at the end of the day, if we don't share the hope and the love of Jesus with these people, then we're, we're, we're falling up short. And so it really challenged me. Does God meet my needs? Like, will he help me when I'm, when I'm hurting and struggling? Um, even though my needs don't even compare to these people. And, and the answer I believe is yes, he does. And it, sometimes that means I go, I go and I still have want just like these people that day, they had a lot of want, but God is with them. And, and he's a, He's there present with them and his love is available to them. All they have to do is call on his name. And so that ultimately our greatest need is a relationship with God through Jesus. And so that, um, yeah, I know for some people, maybe this story is like not connecting with them, but this is for me in my life. My faith grew more that day than probably any other day because it really it took it down to why do I follow God? Why do I, why do I share this message of Jesus? It's, it's not because ultimately it makes me feel better. It's not because um, it makes my life like super exciting. It's because it's, it's, it's the way, it's the answer um, to the biggest questions we have in life. And um, yeah, that's really changed me. Amen, brother. It's good stuff. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know what else to say to that one. Um, let's see. Um, so sharing that message, going out to multi-ethnic, uh, lots of different types of people. Have you found an approach, a certain way to try and connect, uh, the best? Uh, and also has there been one that's just, ah, that doesn't work. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> Go ahead, Ross. <laughs> I feel like you have an answer for this one. I feel like Ross has something to say about this one, so. I'm going to let him take this one as well. Oh, Ernie always thinks I have something to say. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, this is something I think first is just, you know, it's funny. You think about sharing. Okay. I need to have all my ducks in line. I need to have, my, I need to think about information, information, information. But to be honest, it starts at the heart and it starts with listening to the people that you're with, even if that's for a minute. Like some places we go, yeah, we're not there very long. 
but regardless of how much time we have on station or at a local places, it starts with listening, listening to their story, listening to their heart. Where are they at? You know, um, practically what's going on? Uh, and so I think if there's anything we've learned is uh, not feel the need to like prescript things, not feel the need to like have a three point sermon to give at the same place, you know, every time. It's just going in and, and listening. It's, it's through prayer, trying to listen to understand where they're at and and also realize, you know, uh, making a decision to follow Jesus. You know, I, when you come from a worldview that has no understanding of, um, you know, kind of a Christian worldview, uh, that decision to follow Jesus is a journey. It's It's not like a it's not yeah. like just a check in the box, one and done. Um, and I think we can learn a lot about that in the West here too. It's not just like, uh, okay, I get out of jail free card. There's a relationship that's being built. So I think in terms of listening to who they are, where they're at, respecting, um, respecting what I'm hearing. And, and so, you know, even we talk to a lot of people of different faiths. Uh, hey, are you okay if I share with you where, where, I, where my hope comes from? Um, and so like, not just kind of word vomiting all over people. Uh, it's helpful that we speak through translators a lot of the time because that can give time for people to think and kind of disarm the situation and for us to be intentional and pray and think. But um, yeah, so I, I think there's no like formula. There's things we've learned and it starts with listening to the heart. It starts with respect. Um, it starts with uh, also not being scared to give an answer to, to every question that in any question that we get. Um, just speaking boldly and um, yeah, I, I don't know. Those are a couple of things. I don't know if you want to add anything. Yeah. No, just want to say, isn't that amazing that to soften someone's heart, it's just to listen to them, to ask them questions and to respect. <laughs> and I feel like, wow, you know, I don't feel like enough people really quite understand that. Instead, it's, I feel like it's quick to give the opinion, to shove something down someone's throat and, and, be rude about it and so yeah i think that's worked for us it's just uh, yeah and love goes beyond a decision there like love goes beyond beyond like again um if they choose continue to choose to like worship the spirit or follow buddha or maybe be atheist agnostic like our love for them our partnership with them doesn't change and so like walking that out uh is is important as well in the you know all throughout and that's where like it's a relationship again um so i think those are just some things uh like fbr is is a multi-ethnic multi-faith organization mm -hmm. um you're not going to hear the same uh conviction and, and passion about jesus that maybe we share from everybody mm -hmm. and that's okay um we do unite around love that is something that every single person regardless of who you are is, is we unite around that mm -hmm. and the, our calling to love each other. And, and we believe that first comes through loving God. But um, so I think it's, again, finding ways that we can unite in the present moment and always just wanting, you know, we want the best for everybody. Um, and we're going to respect what uh, people choose and decide. And mm -hmm. yeah, um, but we're not perfect. We, we've learned a lot of these things we've learned probably from, at least me, from making mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah. yeah, this woman right here has the she's got this faith that moves mountains like, you know, some people talk about it. She is about it. And so I think 
we're better together in, in every way. And so Aaron A has challenged me and grown me in, in, in walking in, out in faith and love and even speaking the truth of um, who Jesus is and what he's all about. Uh, I, I would not be here again today in this same place in my mind or my heart and my body without her. And so that's, again, to all, to you and everyone else, I just know, like, man, what a blessing it is. And I see that with you and Amanda, mm -hmm. and I know other guys, what a blessing it is to be, be united mm -hmm. with someone who uh, is out of your league. <laughs> so I remember that. Yeah, I mean, that, that one's, that's a big compliment there. I mean, uh, anybody that knows Ross, like Ross was the, was the guy uh, from a religion, spiritual, like, and, and it wasn't a talk the talk. It's a, you know, it was a walk the walk. And, you know, in two different occasions on here already, you've already talked about stepping that game up from where you were. I mean, it's a continuous, right? It's a continuous learning, learning every day. And then yeah. uh, obviously the, the, the hard part is keeping yourself in check. And when you drift from that and trying to get back to it, I was reading yeah. a, a book called uh, Outwitting the Devil uh, by Napoleon Hill. And he's wrote a, a big one that's like how to get rich or something like that. And he wrote that first. And then he wrote this other one. And it's it's a, it's it's when he was in a dark place. And Whoa. he wrote the book, um, never published it his entire life. Whoa. And but his family back in I think 2011 decided to publish it, and it's wow. really deep on a lot of things like that. One of the things he talks about is nobody really wants to invest in. He calls it the art of living, you know, relate that to a spiritual process uh, and faith, and that it's never profitable on the outset. I think that kind of connects to the whole the approach. Just listen. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And call it audible, fall back on, on the, on the faith and, mm -hmm. you know, go from there. But yeah. Um, yeah. That's a, that, that's a great, that's a great point. You know, if all we do is step out in life because we see the path in front of us, man, we're going to miss out on some amazing journeys because there's so much in life that we cannot see beyond just mm -hmm. our field of view or maybe the, the next horizon. And I can just, I, I could sit here, we both could sit here and just rattle off opportunity after opportunity where if, well, actually more me, not her, because she's got this faith gift. But like for me, if I would have just followed the path I could see, oh man, I would have just, uh, what a, what a, what a, I would have missed out on so much. And so. Yeah. Um, Be like the mole and whack-a-mole. Yeah. <laughs> whack. That's good. Yeah, that ain't it. <laughs> That's good um let's see okay so you, you talked about the getting the word out um what's what's yeah. been the some of the biggest challenges getting the word out about oh, what you're doing and <laughs> what's that finding people who care i don't find people who care got it oh, yeah, slightly joking but not really <laughs> yeah yeah but i think yeah i think just uh context can always be a challenge you know it's hard to how, how can you get the word out get the news out in a way that um can relate to people like yeah people like. can understand like you know there's just things that i'm a i'm a tactile learner experiential learner like unless i'm in a, in a, in a setting it's hard for me to learn things sometimes mm -hmm. so sure. how can we do that for people who might never 
might never, you know, step foot in the jungle or in a conflict zone. Yeah. Um, and that's not a bad thing. We're not all called to go to Burma. We're not all called to go to, you know, the Middle East. Uh, that's okay. Uh, but there's other ways that we can um, educate ourselves with information, allow that information not to just sit in our head, but to, to then penetrate our heart. That's my biggest failure. I think before stepping out in this uh, and moving to Thailand in 2020, my biggest failure in life was never allowing the the marginalized and the oppressed to really impact my heart. In some ways, it's because of, of, of fear. I thought it would just overwhelm me. Um, and so I just kind of kept every all those things at arm's distance. Maybe I would, you know, do something here or there to help, and it felt good. So I think, yeah, uh, just finding ways to encourage people to spend the time to maybe open up their mind and learn some information, challenge them to open up their heart to allow information to seep in. Mm -hmm. So we're always learning ways to better do that. Um, both like just with our community, but then, you know, we have people, we have a reporting department that writes articles for news agencies and, and those news agencies, news agencies share that, that mm -hmm. information. Pictures, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. You said you're visual. Erin yeah. um, does a better job in her family than I in that department, you know, just capturing those things um, so we can share. Uh, but those are a couple of things. I'm, I guess I'd think, mm. can you think of anything else? Um, no, I, I just want to go back to, yeah, wanting to relate to other people, I guess. I mean, earlier you said that, oh, we can tell you all these things and it's kind of hard for you to digest. And I do feel like that every time we come to America, people generally don't ask us questions about what we do. And I think some of it, it just makes them uncomfortable. I think some of it, um, they really don't care. And then some of it, uh, yeah, they just don't know what to ask. They don't know what to ask. Like, what is life in the jungle? Why are you in the jungle? Why are they in the jungle? Um, and so, yeah, just encouraging people to open up their hearts and their minds yeah. to just something bigger yeah. out there. So. Gotcha. If, if someone were impacted today, how would they help? What could they do? Mm. Great question. Uh, I would say first, if they're a praying person, they can just pray. Pray for those the people that are oppressed across the world, um, that are in harm's way. A lot of innocent people, um, countless innocent people, men, women, children, um, and that's not to mention all the others that are on the front lines. And also, but yeah, pray would be would be first. Uh, just learn, you know, if, if they want to reach out to us or um, just Google like. What's happening in Burma uh, right now? Um, they could do that. Uh, we just watched the other day a couple of great YouTube videos of guys who are not connected to us at all, but just went to Burma and are sharing some of the things. So there's stuff out there just to take the time. Uh, they could visit our website, freeburmarangers.org, follow on social media. Um, our, our team releases about a report a week maybe, um, sometimes more, but these are just stories on the front line, um, stories of just regular people, what they're experiencing. Um, and so just sometimes it's just kind of starting to put those things in your feed uh, or having it dropped in your email box. You can sign up for, for email there. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think other ways is just as people learn, sharing with others, right? Like being their own little out, you know outlets for what's happening. Um, and then there's ways to join us. Uh, every year in March, we have a run for relief that we host in Chiang Mai, but we do it virtually around the world. And that's that's just a fun way to gather people, to get the news out, 
join together um, for what's happening to to just stand up and say we we care for these people. And so the really the run for relief is a 5K. We run because the people of Burma cannot run, so we choose to run in that way. And so that's a fun little event every year. Um, and then, yeah, there's always if people feel called and led financially, uh, Free Burma Rangers is supported really entirely by individuals um, and their generosity. And so they can give to the Free Burma Rangers through through the the website. Um, I think we have even the ability to do some corporate stuff. Uh, like I know some corporations, you can like allocate money through them. I, I think our our CPA here in the States has set that up. Um, we're recognized as free the oppressed as a nonprofit here in America. So we are registered here in America. But um, gotcha. I don't know, you think of anything else? And they're always welcome to come out and volunteer. Come, come on out to Southeast Asia. Put the boots on the to, ground. You have to do a pretty gnarly fitness test, but uh -oh. other than that. That probably disqualify me. You don't have that. There's other ways to. So come on, visit. Chiang Mai, Thailand. If they're ever there, we're always, always, you always got a place to come yeah. through. And, uh, yeah. In time. Hopefully. <laughs> maybe one day. Yeah. Yeah. Bring the family on vacation. Couple more. Um, and recently, most recently. Um, have you ever found a a time, a mission, or an event where you lost your courage? Mm. 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm naive, but even like lost my courage. I have an example once you're done. Okay, go ahead. Then. Oh, go ahead. Well, I don't know, like when I was on mission in Karini, you know, you hear all of the mortars and you feel it when you're sleeping and and uh, the ground shakes and whatnot. And you're traveling in the back of trucks from place to place and you're walking for days and you know, like Burma army camps around and you know all of this stuff and you know that there's conflict zones and you know that like an airstrike, that's the number one is airstrikes anytime. And uh, so you know that like there could be a potential airstrike. But maybe it's just naive of me to think that i'm not even gonna say it's naive like i truly believe that if god wants me there in that moment he's going to um he's gonna do what he wants in that moment and so i feel like i i personally um also never have like really been in a lot of danger ever and so no <laughs> but i'll, I'll share of when I lost my I could think of a time. So, uh, you know, doing all these things together, what a what a gift that is to be united. Um, and I think that's what sustains. That's what. Well, I don't think I know. That's what sustains me. The fact that, you know, we can be in the field on mission for weeks on end, but like my person, my soulmate, my spouse is there with me. So it's like our our home is right there. So I'm not like. You remember back like when, when we were in the Marine Corps, you're like chomping to get back because your family, like you're missing your family is a huge part of it. Um, and so like that doesn't happen for us because our family is always there. But that also comes with extra challenges, especially for me. Like I want I want to like care for my wife and protect her. And there's things there's things that I understand a little bit differently because of our background. And so like that's for me, sometimes that's where my like my biggest fears come is like what if. 
what if she's in a position where like um, something happens and I could have I could have thought about it differently. And this isn't to say like she is thriving when we are inside Burma. She is the most capable person there. So it's not to say that she needs me to do all these things. It's just my kind of maybe husbandly instinct. I don't know. And just my love yeah. for her. But she would. It's part of being a dude. Run. Yeah. Part of being a dude. Right. We're protectors. Um, she went on a run during this mission last earlier this year and got lost. I find this out later that she got lost. So she said she's going to be back in like an hour or maybe 45 minutes. And it's like almost an hour and a half and she still hasn't showed up. So the time is doubled. And we're in this area that um, really the main threat was air attacks, but there's still a lot of people you don't know, right? Like, and I saw this van drive by me. I was on my own road. We kind of ran in different directions. I saw this van drive by me out of nowhere. And I'm like, so my mind just goes to the worst case scenario. Like maybe she got yeah. thrown in the van. Maybe someone kidnapped her. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe she got hurt. Um, and, Wait, she didn't, didn't just pop up in your iPhone and turn on the map yeah, and right? start turning? <laughs> Zero service. I mean, I just, I remember in my head, I was just in all these dark places. Like, why are, why are we, we shouldn't be here like this. Um, I just, all these what ifs. And uh, I like ran back. I think I found someone's motorbike and I started driving on this yeah. motorbike trying to find her. And so like my, yeah, I just, I was in a dark place for about 40 minutes as I'm looking for her. And I finally found her. She got lost. But um, that was just an example of like, yes, I guess my actions, that, that loss of courage didn't play out a whole lot. I was able to reset. Probably, I probably was not the nicest to her when I saw her because I was so stressed out. So yeah, that was definitely a loss of courage for me um, in that scenario uh, gotcha. that I'm still always having to work through and we're figuring out, we're figuring out as a family how we can love each other in that, in that, you know, that space. Uh, so. Cause I'm more of like a free spirit and like, I'll just like jump in the bag of a truck. I'm like, we're going for an adventure. Like, come on, like all the yeah. Rangers. And then he's like, I remember this one moment where he's just like, listen, every hour on the hour, we need to get on our beacons and we need to send a message to each other. I was like, I am not doing that. Yeah, you need to throw a GPS in her backpack. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> I'm going to find an air tag that like speaks to the There you go. Oh my yeah. God. Air tag and start link. There you go. Um, I think the, oh, you know, the biggest loss of courage is more from a spiritual perspective. Yeah. You know, you feel a prompting to, to share something or do something that um, you don't follow. Um, you know, mm. I even found that in Ukraine, like we're driving back from the front line and I just had on my, I had, we had been talking as a team, like, let's just keep our eyes and ears open for people in need and for for opportunities to help. And I saw a guy on the side of the road fixing a tire and something in my heart just jumped out. It was like, help that guy. And I'm like, um, I don't know who he is. Like we're running kind of behind. We got to make this time hack. We got things to do. I bet someone else will help him anyway. So that to me was like a, a loss of moral courage where I felt convicted to help. And I chose not to because I made all these other excuses. Um, now I don't know, what would have come of that? But like, those are the things that weigh on me more than anything. It's not the, yeah. it's not the like courage from a physical standpoint. Yeah. It's not courage um, to run into fire though. I've never even had that option, but like, it's the, it's the moral and spiritual lack of courage at times that I just have to say, you know what? Um, I, I, and, and after actioning that moment, I just had to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Like, I don't think I, I didn't follow there how mm -hmm. I felt you prompt and lead and, please forgive me, free me of this burden and 
he's faithful to do that. But mm-hmm. yeah, that'd be more than anything for me in life is, is those. Um, so. And for the physical, maybe it's because we don't have children or mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yet. Yeah. That's yeah, my last question. Right. When y'all going to make some baby pasta sales? <laughs> Well, the kings are making so many. That's yeah, what we even we're need to. Let the kings continue to. Do you, do you remember Kyle Delahook? He just had his seventh. Goodness, let me get him on here. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Funny story, real quick. Uh, last year, when we were in Burma with a friend, this this woman asked when we were leaving, like, Aaron, a, when are you and Russ gonna have children? And and Aaron, what'd you say? I was like, like, oh, like maybe next year. Like maybe next year. Yeah, maybe next year. So we show up. Uh, what? 10 months had passed or something. Yeah, yeah next year. Next you year. show up next year. We show up next year. And she the first thing she says to Aaron a in like broken English, she was like, Aaron a, you forgot your baby. <laughs> you told me this. I told you I this. I remember. Oh, man. No, 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 no. I'm just, I, I'm acting like the, the lady. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She was like, you told me this. You're going to have a baby. You must have forgot it. So. She's funny. Gotcha. Well, Russ, I mean, I don't pick I don't pick up hitchhikers around here, especially because there's a prison pretty close by. So I don't let that one hit burden you too much. Uh, maybe I should rethink that one. I don't know. But you know what? Sometimes, sometimes things happen. You know, and you feel like I should do this, um, and there really is it, nothing that makes sense why not to. So I think that you're right. There's, but for me, that was one of those moments where there was nothing preventing me from do it doing it outside of my own excuses, and so that's why that's why it hung with me. I got you. Cool. Uh, anything else that you guys want to share before we close this thing up? Mm, I think I shared that. <laughs> sure. Um, man, just thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. yeah, yeah thanks for getting you. on. Um, you know, it's like Aaron has shared. Uh, it's hard to know. Like we always want to be sensitive and. We want to hear what's going on in people's lives and you know i'd love to actually sit down and chat with you and hear what's going on in your life um but i think just doing this is is a healing i don't know if that's the right word, the right word. it's good for us to process this is good. it's good for us good. to process so yeah. thank you yeah. um, your questions are just so thoughtful and yeah. and it really helps us to just think about some of the things that we've lived in the last three years like I said, some people wouldn't think to ask. Mm-hmm. And so when we get asked really good questions, we're like, wow, I didn't know this affected me like this. I didn't yeah. know I was impacted in that way. I didn't know yeah. that I loved this person like this. And so, yeah, that is just so appreciated and mm-hmm. hope you continue to ask good questions and that yeah. people would learn from you and asking really good questions as well, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not the guy to ask. Um, that's why I get you guys on here. So you can tell, <laughs> tell and, uh, you got um, your own good story, brother. When are you going to get interviewed? When are you going to be in the uh, other side? Have someone have someone feature you on your own podcast? You know, I was just texting someone about that the other day that wants to do it. There's a guy I used to work with. His name's Bruno Garcia. Yeah. Um, worked with him with, at the old job. and might, cool. might soon. I got to finish up a few uh, books first. Okay. Uh, All right. So, All right. but, yeah, no, Awesome. You guys got on here and you know, it's funny you bring that up with the whole healing thing. And, and a lot of people have when they do this. Um, and Aaron, a., when you were talking about coming back to the States and finding people that are interested, I always think about, I go back to the, um, 
sometimes we feel cold about a situation because of that, you know, like, Oh no, people don't get this. They don't understand. All right. Like uh, I, I explained this whole thing and then they're like, Oh, okay. On to the next one. Makes you feel cold a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. um, thanks for warming up today. Oh, that means a lot. Because yeah. <laughs> you're not alone in that. It happens all the time. Uh, very different circumstances, very different situations. But for you all situation, you know, grateful you guys are over there. Grateful we got you on here today to share it. Uh, I know a lot of a lot of folks are wanting to know um, what you guys are doing because it's it's definitely different. Yeah. Oh, so. thanks. Yeah, it's we, we're all. We're all in it together in different ways. I think if there's anything encouraging to give to anybody is right here in America, there's ways we can yeah. love the people next door, support them, support the people abroad. And yeah. so um, just it starts with one one little decision and a step. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we don't see what we're doing as any different. We just have decided to step a different direction. But there's value to, to everyone's contribution. Yeah, and you guess Absolutely. one more small encouragement to everyone, too, is that even being back in America and there's the news, watching the news, you know, there's a lot of dark things, there's a lot of bad things, and I feel like it's all negative, um, that people can just trust and believe that there are people on the front lines who are a light and who are just changing um, the situation of those war-torn countries mm -hmm. and who are so thankful and have so much gratitude for the people that are just rooting for them, who are praying for them, who believe that they can win whether that in Syria or Ukraine or Burma, people know um, when you are running for that, for relief, or you are praying for them. And um, to even share, yes, this interest in our, our friend who wanted to put us on a podcast, we'll tell our friends about this. And and it's just so encouraging, like, oh, why would they know about us? Why would they ask about Burma and so in the situation? And so they are out there and they are lights and there is more good than you will ever see on the news. And there's more good than evil out there. That's and good. it is winning 100%, 100%. 100%. So. well, Awesome. <laughs> and amen. Um, man, I really appreciate you guys getting on uh, again. Thank you. And uh, y'all have a good night. All right. Thanks brother. Thanks, you too. Tony.